Um, I challenged you. Are you all in? That God calls us to everything. Everything we are, everything we have, everything we do. That's the calling on our life. Are we all in? And this morning I'd like to take a a little time to, to look at what that looks like. And so in preparation for this, I've been asking this question for the last two weeks. I've been asking if you have two people, one a, be- a not believer, one a believer, one not a Christian, one a Christian, and you looked at them, what would be the difference? And we know that the big difference is that the believer is saved by grace, what we don't deserve, through faith. So the difference between them is the faith that God gives one. But if you took their lives and looked at them, what would be distinctive about the believer? And I got lots of answers. I'll I'll share the highlights with you. A lot of people said, well, their language would be different. Their choice of words. Um, The excesses or the lack of excesses that they would have in their life. That would be different. Um, Their dress. I, I got a lot of answers that they would dress much more modestly. Well, I'm dressed like this. Um, and that they wouldn't worry. Some people said that joy would be evident in the believer's life and that you would be able to see joy. Others said that their attitude would be much better. And some said that there would be a thirst for knowledge, that they would understand the things of God better than the unbeliever. And I want to say that those are all really good answers, but they're not the right answer. I got an email from a friend a while back that I think illustrates what we're going to talk about this morning. So I'm going to read it to you. It says, his name is Bill. He has wild hair, wears t-shirts with holes in it, jeans, and no shoes. This was literally his wardrobe for his entire four years of college. He is brilliant, kind of profound, and very, very bright. He became a Christian while attending college. Across the street from the campus is a well-dressed, very conservative church. They want to develop a ministry to the students, but aren't sure how to go about it. One day, Bill decides to go there. He walks in with no shoes, jeans, his T-shirt, and wild hair. The service has already started, so Bill starts down the aisle looking for a seat. The church is completely packed, and he can't find a seat. By now, people are really looking a bit uncomfortable, but no one says anything. Bill gets closer and closer and closer to the pulpit, and when he realizes there are no seats, he just squats right down on the carpet. By now, the people are really uptight, And the tension in the air is thick. About this time, the minister realizes that from way at the back of the church, a deacon is slowly making his way toward Bill. Now, the deacon is in his 80s, has silver-gray hair, and a three-piece suit. A godly man, very elegant, very dignified, very courtly. He walks with a cane, and as he starts walking towards this boy, everyone is saying to themselves that they can't blame him for what he's going to do. 
How can you expect a man of his age and of his background to understand some college kid on the floor? It takes a long time for the man to reach the boy. The church is utterly silent except for the clicking of the man's cane. All eyes are focused on him. You can't even hear anyone breathing. The minister can't even preach the sermon until the deacon does what he has to do. And now you see this elderly man drop his cane on the floor. With great difficulty, he lowers himself and sits down next to Bill and worships with him so he won't be alone. Everyone chokes up with emotion. When the minister gains control, he says, What I am about to preach, you will never remember. What you have just seen, you will never forget. Let's pray. Father, we come before You this morning knowing that You hear us, knowing that You love us. We give You this time and we ask that You send Your Spirit to change us. Use Your Word today to penetrate our hearts and make us more like Your Son who gave Himself for us. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Turn your Bibles to John 13. I'm going to start in verse 34. Jesus is teaching His disciples. And He's getting them prepared for the fact that He's going to be crucified and that He's going to be leaving them. And He gives them these words. John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. See, the distinctive characteristic of a believer of Christ, the distinctive characteristic of a disciple, a follower of Christ, is love. Now, some of you argue, but that list we had, aren't those also characteristics? And they are. They are if they are the result of love. Because we are fallen and saved by grace, what we don't deserve, we're not going to do this perfectly. And if you take my life and you take that list, I've struggled from time to time with each one of those. And because that list is mostly behavioral in nature, the world can pull themselves up by their bootstraps and they can, they can discipline themselves and they can do those things. In fact, there are cults that have totally missed the gospel have totally missed who Jesus is, right? But they are known for what? Their conservative dress and their good behavior. In fact, if you take any religion in the world, there is a 
code of ethics, a, a set of behaviors that they expect their followers to adhere to. There's even an entire industry that exists to help people overcome bad attitudes, find more joy in life, overcome bad behaviors, have the power of positive thinking, make friends and influence people, right? The self-help industry exists to help people do these things and improve their life. And it's not just outside the church, it's also inside the church. But the bottom line is, the bottom line is true obedience is born out of love. Even truth, even truth, if it doesn't have love in it, doesn't accomplish what we want. Why do you think Christians often are, are described as self-righteous and judgmental? Have you ever had a problem and somebody's mugged you with the truth? I have. In fact, worse than that, I've been the mugger. Truth without love just puffs up. Turn to John 14. One page over. 23. Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear from me are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Jesus says over and over in John that true obedience comes from love. And when we fail to behave right, when I have behavioral issues, that is a sign that I'm struggling to love God. That's a scary thought, isn't it? And oftentimes we attack the behavior and say, we've got to fix this. I've got to fix this problem I have. Well, my problem is I don't love God enough. I'm not chasing after Christ enough. I'm not opening the pages of my Bible looking for Him and saying, I need to know Him more. I need to love Him more. Because true obedience comes out of love. What's the first and greatest commandment? When Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments? He said to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. With everything you have, you are, and do. And love others. And this fulfills all the law, all the prophets. We need to chase after Jesus Christ with all that we are, and we focus on the wrong things. He is everything. The question I asked two weeks ago is, are you all in? The question I have for you this morning is, when people look at you and they describe you, would they describe you in terms of love? What would be on your epitaph? What would be on mine? Would it say, he was a little quirky, but he loved me. 
Because that is what defines us as followers of Christ. That's it. Everything else flows out of that. Let's not miss that. But the question then becomes, oh, before, that's why we have notes. Paul, when he's describing love in 1 Corinthians 13, he goes on to say, basically, if you have everything, if you do everything, if you give everything, if you know everything, even if you give your life to the flames but you don't have love, you haven't done anything and you haven't gained anything. Listen to what it says. John goes on to say in 1 John, listen to his words. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So if this love, this love that comes from God, is what defines us, what does it look like? Going over to Paul's description in 1 Corinthians 13. He describes it. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is what we're called to. This is what we're called to become. To love like this. To love each other like this. Matthew 5 Jesus is teaching the people that are following him. And he tells them that they are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And then he goes on to describe what that looks like to be the light and the salt. And when, he gets, when we get to 543, he says these words. He says, you have heard that it was said. This is what the world sees. This is what the world believes. You have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, here's the correction. Here's the truth. Here's the real way. But I tell you, love your enemies. Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good 
and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. See, the world understands what love is. It just sees it as conditional. It just sees love as circumstantial. The love we're called to is neither conditional or circumstantial. It's unconditional. It's absolute. Later in Matthew Matthew 25, verse 31, Jesus says these words. Think about this. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by the Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? Then the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment and the righteous to eternal life. Jesus said to the ones on his right, he said, you loved. You loved me. You loved others. That was the proof of your faith. Welcome. And to the others, he said, you did not. And did you see how they loved? Brothers and sisters, love is not a warm, cozy feeling that we get when we're near somebody. It's not being nice to someone. When you don't feel like it. Love is sacrifice. It costs you. It's sometimes unpleasant. It's sometimes, well, it's sometimes inconvenient. Love is sacrifice. But that's who we are. That's what we're called to. That should define us. God gave me opportunity this week to express that type of love, and I could have done much better. Much better. 
I need to hear this. Are you defined by your love for others? Is that how people know that you are a disciple of Christ? Jesus is our example. Not that we loved Him. When we didn't love Him, He laid His life down for us and gave everything that we could be saved. That's how we're supposed to love. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. What will people say about you? What do people say about you at work, at home? How do they describe you? Now, two weeks ago when I preached, I meant to say something and I forgot. I meant to say that I see the Spirit moving here. I see people being stirred. I see people wanting more. I see people selling everything they own to go to the mission field to share the love of Christ. I believe revival is starting here. I believe we are becoming different. And I share this this morning for two reasons. First, it's just the truth. I need to hear it. You need to hear it. And the second reason is, we are a church that's known for its preaching. Great preaching. And that's a good thing. I love that. I love that about this church. So that I can come and hear great preaching. And we're a church that's known for standing on the truth. And I love that. That is a good thing. That we stand and don't compromise the truth. And we are a church that's known for giving. We make our budget every year. You'd be surprised at how many churches don't. And above and beyond that, we give a big chunk of money to missions. And we support missions. We're sending people out to the mission field. And we give to special causes. We are a giving, generous church. But that's not enough. If we do all of that and don't love each other, we've done nothing. I've had the opportunity God has brought into my path in the last couple months. People that used to go here. Some of them for quite a while. And I asked them, why don't you anymore? We could do much better. And I've talked to people that just visited for once or twice or even had relatives come and visit. And you know that there are people that can walk through those doors, sit through an entire service and leave And not one person talks to them. And that probably happens to some of you sometimes. That can't be. We need to be known as a church that loves. When they describe Parkway Community Church, they need to describe us and say, gosh, I went there and they just loved on me. Kind of scary. Shouldn't that be what we're known for? Shouldn't that be what you're known for? God is moving here. 
He's stirring us. But if we don't get this right, we don't get it. We've got to love each other. We have to. The worship team is going to come. They're going to sing. We're going to sing praises to God. And while we do, I want you to be thinking. I want you to be thinking about how would you be described. I want you to be thinking about, do I love you, Lord, with everything I have, with everything I am, with everything I do? Let's pray. Father, we come to you incapable incapable of doing what you've asked us to do without the power of your Spirit working in us. Father, empower us. Drive us. Change our hearts of stone into hearts that love you so that we can love each other. In Jesus' name.